our records are mostly for weightlifters. There are men who think that Peter Pan records is when you've eaten the most peanut butter. And then there's Adam Bernstein and Doug Bost, two men who should have better things to do but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. With returning grown-ass guest, Emmy-nominated writer, comedian, filmmaker, and author, as well as the host of the pop culture comedy show, Kevin Geeks Out, Kevin Marr. Hello, friends. What's up? So good to see you. Yeah. Welcome to another fabulous episode of Grown-Ass Men. This is episode 101, by the way. We're into the triple digits now, and uh, we're lucky enough to have Kevin Marr as our uh, guest. So happy to have you back. And I like that Grown-Ass Men 101 sounds like it's a college course. It's <laughs> 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 the, the introduction to Grown-Ass Mentory. Well, there's a lot to be learned. Power Records presents the Fantastic Four. Power Records presents the Mark of the Man-Wolf. Power Records presents Man-Thing. Power Records presents the Incredible Hulk at Bay. In the 70s, it wasn't enough to just look at your comics. It also helped if you could listen to them at the same time. At least that was the idea that Peter Pan Records had. They had been making, uh, if I'm not mistaken... Peter Pan Records was like a, a kid's record label that had been making records since the late 40s. And then in the early 70s, they said, hey, let's not just make uh, kids' records about Woody Woodpecker and Bugs Bunny. What if we made records about Spider-Man and Superman? And once they did that, they just started going off into some weird and interesting directions that we're going to talk about today. Sheriff, this is Rex Mason, known as Metamorpho, the Element Man. If anyone can stop him, it's the Element Man. I mean, I'm going to do this throughout the episode, but <laughs> you're going to have to deal with it no matter what. Metamorpho, 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 Metamorpho. Goes into three or four keys modulating it <laughs> for a dramatic effect. I mean, you don't even need any more drama. Than well, I dug into my um, comic book boxes and pulled out the actual, oh. realized that I've got the Mark of the Man-Wolf Power Records book and record set. The action comes alive nice. as you read. I think what I realized this morning is that I didn't buy this. As a grown-ass man, I have owned this my whole life and uh, just hung on to it from home to home. <laughs> Kevin, have were you aware of Power Records, uh, you know, when you were younger? Yeah, I, I was definitely aware of Power Records. And I think for for listeners, we, we should just kind of set the stage and paint a picture of... I, I would have encountered this in like the mid 1970s. So I just want to take a look at what the media landscape looked like for children of the 1970s. Obviously, this is before streaming services. The VCR hadn't become popular. I think in most American homes, you would have had one TV set available. So kids were at the bottom of the pecking order of deciding what was on TV. But even then, there was a lot of TV during the broadcast day that was not for kids. 
I think that's that's kind of forgotten today is that kids grow up now with multiple streaming services, 24-7 shows available. When you were a kid, there were there were not a lot of uh home media that was available to you. That just so, reminds me almost that's almost what they had in school with those kind of things. They would show you these lousy film strips about worms, you know, mm -hmm. or you know, like that it's almost the same technology that schools had you know it was so unsophisticated all right to... well adam because you mentioned school i feel the need to bring this up my wife is a literacy specialist so she and i had a long discussion about the 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 way the brain works and the science of reading so if we could take a minute at the top and then we'll get into the fun stuff like the the metamorpho theme Please. song and, yes. and I, I have some very strong opinions about the power records adaptation of beneath the planet of the apes that i'm going to vent but before we get to that just just a quick educational framework for this so i listened to a record and this is from the back of that record it says this book and record set is a valuable entertaining learning aid this educationally valuable multi-sensory reading concept is approved by reading specialists that's from the back of the Power Records book, A Story of Dracula, the Wolfman, and Frankenstein. So I love that you have this monster book that is also technically being sold as a reading aid. So here's what my wife told me, that the premise of the product lines up with what's known as the science of reading and what the science tells us about how the brain learns to read. There's no one part of the brain that's assigned to reading because reading is still new in human evolution, as opposed to oral language, Here's how it works. If, if you put a baby in a crib surrounded by the spoken language, the baby will just learn to speak because there's part of a brain, the frontal lobe, that processes spoken language. But when we learn to read, we recruit multiple parts of the brain. The back left of the brain is where we process visual letters. It's believed, I love this, it's believed that that part of the brain used to recognize animal tracks on the ground and you'll notice that certain letters resemble animal tracks. The letter Y looks like a bird track. So sometimes when a child is learning the alphabet, they'll write their letters backwards, like a D looks like a B or vice versa. And adults fear it's dyslexia. But the child is just doing, their brain is doing what our brains evolved to do, which is recognize a track regardless of the way it's facing. So we use the back left part of the brain to identify letters. And when we learn to read, we have to connect the two parts of our brain, the front left, which recognizes the sounds of language, and the back left recognizes the visuals of letters and combinations of letters. And that's what the read aloud records help with. When you have a voice reading the words dramatically, it speeds up the process of orthographic mapping. And we understand what we're reading when it sounds like human speech in our head. So there you go. A little bit of brain science. Wow. Power Records absolutely holds up education-wise. If you gave this to a kid, it would help the kid learn to read. All Especially the power, Mark of the Man Wolf. All the Power Especially. Records releases have a comic book attached. Is that correct? I don't think that's entirely true. I think there were some that were audio only. But most of them did. Like, for instance, there's a $6 million man Christmas record. Oscar, what is so important that I have to interrupt my Christmas vacation? I'm sorry, Steve, but we have a very serious situation on our hands. And of course, only I can handle it. You should be flattered, Steve. You're my best agent. I would trade that honor for some time off during the Christmas holidays. And I oh, don't God. think they had 
illustrated stories for each one of them. I think they only had it for I searched online. If there is a comic book, it's not it has not been scanned and and shared with the world wide web because I was desperate to see the visuals that, that accompanied the story we listened to called the elves revolt oh i started my morning with that one man <laughs> wow me too oh man i mean come on they take a brilliant franchise gentlemen we can rebuild him we have the technology one of the greatest of the 70s the six million dollar man they really try to ruin it as much as possible i mean the whole idea of Bringing in Santa Claus? Where are they? I, where, what's going on with that? But it's also like, it's an incredible story because it's a union-busting story. It's yeah. a story where Santa's elves try to unionize. Ho, 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 ho. Come on, fellows. Let's get back to work. Not until we discuss a change in the working conditions. And Santa wants to bring in scabs. And mm. then the union foreman busts up the workshop to protest the scabs. So Steve and Oscar come from Washington to uh, to break up the union, basically, and they get Santa's but, help. But essentially, why were they going to the North Pole in the first place? Climate change. Climate change, because the polar right. ice caps were melting at a rapid rate. That's, that's the MacGuffin to get them to the North Pole. There's a moment in that um, Elves Revolt, Six Million Dollar Man story, where Steve Austin and Oscar Goldman go... They fly up to the north, and then Oscar's like, okay, you got to jump out of the plane now. And Steve's like, you didn't tell me I had to jump out. And Oscar's just a dick about it. Steve, you're a pilot. You know we can't land on the ice. Oscar, you didn't tell me about this. It's too late to argue about it now. There's the green light. See you on the ground. Don't get your feet wet. What year was the uh, Power Records six million dollar man stuff going on? Do we know? The, 78. the record was seventy eight. The reason I looked it up is because at the end of this adventure, Santa makes reference to some Bionic Man dolls. So I was like, "What year did they introduce the Bionic Man action figure?" And the action figure came out, I believe, in seventy five. So at right. that time, Bionic Man dolls were a real thing, and it made me wonder. In the world of the six million dollar man, were there action figures of the six million dollar man, <laughs> or has Santa blurred the lines? So, Power well, Records ended up producing records and comic books based on DC characters, Marvel characters, and then they expanded to do Conan, which was sort of Marvel but also kind of out of that universe, and then six million dollar man. Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, and then classics, too, like Little Women. Marmy! Marmy! Where's Meg? Joe, calm down this instant. What's come over you? I must speak to Meg about Mr. Brooke. Laurie told me. So you know that he intends to marry her? What? You were pointing that out, I think, Kevin, that what did they do, like Robinson Crusoe in eight minutes? But the best of all of the power records that i've heard in terms of the audio is spider-man mark of the man wolf what in the name of heaven who are you and what's the meaning of this do you realize who i am 
The name is Jonah Jameson, my friend, and I'll have you know J. Jonah Jameson is not the kind of man to be amused by some sort of infantile... I demand an explanation for this this ridiculous costume. Which is based on, I believe, 40... 120s or something, right? 120s or 140s, yeah, I can't remember. It's based on a Jerry Conway story, and what I kind of liked was the relationship between J. Jonah Jameson and Robbie Robertson. Robbie Robertson is the African-American best friend of J. Jonah Jameson and also his partner at the Daily Bugle. And yet he's more liberal, but they kind of uh, work well together. And actually, I I was amazed that kind of interesting and slightly complicated dynamic from the comics came out really well in in the Power Records version. I don't believe I've had the pleasure. Sorry, Robbie. This is my son, John. John's just retired from astronautics. He was one of the last men to make a moonwalk. Son, this is Joe Robertson, my city editor. Glad to meet you, John. Same here, Mr. Robertson. Sorry we've got to rush off. I also liked the the Marvel Man-Thing, Night of the Laughing Dead, which was <laughs> based on the Steve Gerber, Mike Plug, um Man-Thing issue number five. Someone! It's got Daryl! Holy cow! It's the Man-Thing! Kevin, what when you were listening to these Power Records again, what, what struck you? What did you enjoy listening to? What I really enjoyed more than anything was the music and the sound effects. So I yeah. think that took really good advantage of the medium that wasn't available when you read a comic. When they go for it and they do a sound design and you get those effects in there, it just brings some of those fall whoops and things to life in a way that I found incredibly satisfying. The shortcoming I found was that it it didn't allow me, it kept a pace that did not allow me when I was following along because I had the visuals in front of me. My eyes were going over the letters and the words. It did not give me the opportunity to really drink in the the artwork at a slow pace. So it is the thing that, you know, there's a, a Stan Lee quote I, I shared with you guys before right. where he says you can really take your time with it and just take in some of the visuals and the artwork. And I think the the pace of, we got to get through this whole story in seven and a half minutes, doesn't allow you, if you have a book in front of you, to really take a moment to take in that Mike Klug or that Neil Adams artwork, because you're just kind of rushing through and paying attention to the the written word. And besides the sound effects, you would have dramatic music. And some of these albums had theme musics, which we got to um, talk about. All right. <laughs> we all listen to the Power Records DC Comics adaptation of Metamorpho. The absolute greatest Metamorpho theme song I've ever heard. <laughs> it's so weirdly done. And the the word scheme with that melody, like Metamorpho, Metamorpho, it really is awkward, which is the great thing about it. It just makes an earworm because it's so weird. It is, but please don't take this the wrong way. It really sounds like a grown-ass men production. It oh. really sounds very yeah. much like it would wind up on uh, Uncle Ben is Dead. Yeah, it's the perfect uh, compliment. Yeah, the Plastic yeah. Man theme. It's not quite oh. as good as the Metamorpho theme, but it but it's up there. Plastic Man, Plastic Man, the one, the original Elastic Man, always in great shape for the shape he's in, the fantastic Plastic Man! 
I mean, the themes from the Marvel cartoons, though, the Spider-Man cartoon theme in comparison is incredible. I mean, that's a masterpiece of writing and arranging the whole thing. That's that's top. This is as good as Batman. You know, the Neil Hefty Batman yeah. from the 60s. Talk about that, that Spider-Man theme will never go away. That really gets inside your head and you can sing it. You learn it when you're a kid and you could. It's like Jingle Bells, Batman Smells. Like you can sing it the rest of your life as soon as you learn it. <laughs> metamorpho, metamorpho. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Metamorpho, metamorpho. This is the story of the element man. Metamorpho, metamorpho. One thing that's great about the metamorpho theme is that there's way too many verses. Oh my God. Do a song that's three times longer than it needs to be. Totally. I love that the metamorpho song has the twist I did not see coming where he says, and I know because I am metamorpho. Right, right, right. It's amazing. The whole time the song was being sung by metamorpho. <laughs> not only am I president of the metamorpho fan club, <laughs> I am also metamorpho. And now, as promised, the grown-ass men present the ultimate cover of the original Metamorpho Power Records theme song. This is the story of the element man. Starts out in old Egypt land. Rex Mason was his real name. A soldier of fortune didn't care about fame. Until they took a Interesting. They never credited any of their voice actors on the yeah. records themselves, but they had some interesting voice actors, uh, including 
the guy who plays Spider-Man, his name is Peter Fernandez, and he was also the voice of Speed Racer. I'm in the middle of a race, Trixie. Don't talk to me now. I never asked to be bitten by that blasted radioactive spider, but I was JJJ. And this other guy named Elliot Lewis did a lot of the voices, and he's an old-time radio actor. He was on episodes of Escape and Suspense and Jack Benny and The Whistler. Log entry, the catch Scarlet Queen. He was everywhere. We've talked about what we like about the Power Records recordings. Let's talk about the things that might not be so great, the shortcomings of the Power Records. And uh, Kevin, I'm going to let you go first. I think the key word in shortcomings is short, that some of these, when they when they create original stories that are designed in their DNA to be eight minutes long, they know how to pace it. But for me, as Planet of the Apes fan, and I know you guys did a whole episode about the Planet of the Apes saga and franchise, it doesn't necessarily fit into, you know, a 12-minute record to tell the the three-act story. So four of the original five films were turned into power records. The odd thing there is that the second film ends with the destruction of the Earth. Now, before I can get to what I don't like about it, I just want to tell you a quick side story. In Park Slope, Brooklyn, on Fifth Avenue, there's a place called Puppet Works. I don't know if either of you have ever been, but it is a puppet theater, and they do great marionette shows. And I went with um, my niece and nephew. We saw a production of The Wizard of Oz. And when you get to the dramatic scene at the end where the Wicked Witch is going to have a bucket of water thrown on her, traditionally, who throws the bucket of water? Dorothy. In this production, Dorothy has no active arms and can't pick up a bucket. So they have the cowardly lion pick up the water and throw it on the witch. And I think that totally changes Dorothy's arc, her story, the focus that just so much of the Wizard of Oz is thrown out with the bathwater or the bucket of water. Uh, really, really upset me to no end. That's what it means to be a grown ass man. Yeah. Um, Watching and listening to the Power Records summary of Beneath the Planet of the Apes, you'll remember at the end of the movie, it is Taylor, Charlton Heston's character, who activates the Omega bomb that destroys the planet, thus proving Dr. Zaius's point that man is evil and this man who who came into our world has to be destroyed because he's going to kill us all. The prophecy comes true when Taylor pushes the button to to blow up the mom and in in the comic book version with power records one of the mutants like i'll stop them and pushes a button i'm like with this unspeakable explosion the city once again and for all time is destroyed no this is the equivalent of dorothy not doing the bucket of water so i was really really upset with the power Mm. records uh creative choices because there is no efficiency in having the mutant do it instead of Taylor doing it. I'm very curious what year it came out. Were they working from a shooting script or or had the had the films come out by the time the power records came out when they when they signed that agreement? I, I think you overestimate how much they would care about a story element like that. I, I think they just were about getting to the end as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to blow up the planet. It yeah. doesn't matter who does it to them. But that is my that chief up. complaint is that they took they took certain creative um creative license 
it's very easy to imagine that they're in a different building that they're so far removed from DC or Marvel comics or any of the people that they're just, yeah, we, we own the rights to these characters, but we don't have to respect any of the baggage. My least favorite thing about the power records is that sometimes they just make the material boring. Like they make Captain America and the Falcon boring as hell. Well, wasn't a lot of the stuff that we watched as kids compared to like the amount of creativity that goes into kids stuff now? Like, you know, on the boring side. I mean, we had some great stuff. I Probably. Mean, you know, even Bugs Bunny, though that was before we were even born when those were made, they were always but, great. The, the, the creativity is off the charts. Yeah, Bugs was never boring. But, but do you think, Adam, that part of it is that once you farm it out three times over, there are there are people who are making the stuff who don't understand what it is that makes Bugs Bunny an interesting character? You what really is need to have a lot of care, Kevin. I think that's what you're kind of getting at. Like a lot of care for these characters, people who really go, yeah, man, the Fantastic Four are a huge part of my life. You know, it's like I got to make the real dynamic that made that stuff come alive in the first hundred issues, I'm going to have to have somehow capture that. But I, I would say that I still see that today in a lot of areas. Like <laughs> I went to see this movie called, I think it's called the, the many saints of Newark, which is a prequel to the Sopranos. It's a movie yeah. and it's really bad and it's really boring. And it's interesting. It was interesting to me to watch it because it felt like they didn't understand what made The Sopranos interesting in the first place. Huh. And yet they'd made this movie because they had the intellectual property and they didn't understand why I watched every episode, every season of The Sopranos. And they just screwed it up with this. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people who are in charge of intellectual property and just, you know, making a paycheck in a way. It also reminds me of in CD Grown Ass Men, episode 99, where you talk about the Kirby 2001. Uh, you had a guy talking about how Kirby understood like the gorgeousness of outer space, but that the comic book didn't have the audio that Kubrick brought to the film made it pale in comparison. And I, I think that's that's the other thing about the trappings of your medium that sometimes... Mm having additional elements in your power records thing is not enhancing the experience. And and maybe to your point, it's because there's people making it who don't get it and who don't care and that they're relying on theme songs and sound effects and dramatic performances while missing just the the core of the the heart of these characters or or the premise that that makes it work in the first place. So I didn't, I didn't come on wanting to talk about power records, but uh, I'm so glad we did. It ended up being just a fascinating topic, and it really resonates because Adam and I, a few months ago, we we actually did an audio book of a children's picture book that I wrote, and it was illustrated by Joe Dater, and it was narrated by Glenn Heroy, and Adam came in and brought it to life with some awesome music. Adam did the audio book of Santa Doesn't Need Your Help. But the one thing we didn't crack was getting one of those YouTube channels where someone will read a book 
on their YouTube channel to children. And I feel like this is the modern day version of Power Records, which is someone will read a book and hold up the book to kids. But I guess what we said at the top of the episode, the idea of learning the, with the two parts of your brain of listening and reading and identifying letters and words isn't happening if somebody's just reading you the book aloud on YouTube. But I think that is how so many kids are learning stories. They're like taking in a story and it's this chicken or the egg thing. Does does somebody go to YouTube to find a reader to read their favorite book? Or does a kid hear a story on YouTube, they like the story so much that they get the book and then they read it at home? It's chicken or the egg. I don't know which comes first. This brings up a question, Doug, you might know the answer to. When was the final release of Power Records? What was the last record they put out? And what was the record? Well, I'm glad you asked because the answer is Rick D's. Power Records wound down in the early 80s. They changed their name. The last thing I can find that they really did were the Irwin the Disco Duck albums. Look at me, I'm the Disco And it basically destroyed Power Records. It ended Power Records' long run. Well, fantastic. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking with us about Power oh, Records. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, great awesome. to have thank you. you Good guys. to see you, man. Big thanks to Kevin Marr for being with us today and our very own Metamorpho theme song was performed for you by Adam Bernstein and Sam Mastandrea. See you next time. Grown-ass man.